Candace Slim, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And now that we are officially in the final days of August, the final days of summer, now that the pumpkin spice latte is officially back in Starbucks across the country, mm. I think it's time for the most important question of the season. Candace, what was your song of the summer? Ooh, this is a good question. Good question. Let me think for a second, but what's yours? So I think I have a controversial answer, which is I don't think we've had a real, like, the song of the summer in a really long time. Yes. I think since at least pre-COVID. The pop girlies just haven't really been giving what they need to give. I feel like the last time I thought, oh, this this is a song of the summer it was when Normani released Motivation. Mm. <sighs> what a moment in time. That music video. Oh, so good. The references. I mean, that was mm-hmm. a true bop. It was strong, strong, strong contender for song of the summer for sure. It was. I mean, in that video, she literally bounces a basketball off of her ass. And if that doesn't scream summer to you, then I we're not friends. Troy Bolton could never. Oh, could never. (laughs) Maybe Chad could. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So all that to say, I'm going to have to cop out and say that my song of the summer is the same one as last year's, which is Beyonce's Cuff It. But I will offer an addendum and say the Cuff It Wetter remix, which started on TikTok, is my song of the summer. That's what I've been playing on repeat. That's what I play before I go out. Mm -hmm. It's the vibe. So your turn. Okay. That's a good one. And here's the thing. I don't know if I'm going to be able to beat you because my pick is actually quite controversial, but I think I got to say it's Addison Rae. What? Mm-hmm. Ad- explain your Candace. Candace, explain yourself. I know. Explain yourself right now. I know. I never really thought I would be saying these words, but you know, in my search for a song of the summer, unto which I've come up dry, here I find myself in August. I wake up one morning. Why do I see on Spotify Addison Ray just released new EP? It's called AR, and I say to myself, <laughs> "What's this?" And then I click it, <laughs> and then I got trapped, Rachel. I got trapped. I have to say, though, my favorite song off the EP is called To Die For. And I'm pretty sure I like it because it features this like really, really amazing, strong verse from Charlie XCX, my queen. love the song it's such a vibe it's such a moment i unfortunately have to say addison ray you've made my song of the summer i'm not gonna lie that is a bop i did catch myself you know bopping my head along the thing is charlie can do no wrong her song boys is a good contender (gasps) for the song of the summer of that year those little nintendo sounds just itch something in my brain but um, I don't think I knew Miss Addison Ray made music before this moment. And that's fair because, you know, the last time Addison Ray was really the name on everyone's lips, 
she was like everywhere. She was on Jimmy Fallon. She was doing cameos on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. She was like starring in a reboot of She's All That for Netflix. She was just doing so much, but none of that really included or showcased her music exactly. And importantly, you know, I feel like her mainstream push kind of came after a quite successful TikTok rise because... I think it's fair to say that she was maybe one of the first really big TikTok personalities to like claim that as a job on LinkedIn. And, you know, she kind of started picking up steam in 2019 when she would post like short videos of her dancing on TikTok. And at the time, she was only 19. She was technically still at school. She was like a freshman at Louisiana State University. Right. But she took that success and did what, you know, every young 19-year-old entrepreneur does. Mm -hmm. She drops out of Harvard and creates a startup (laughs) called Facebook. Okay, not really, but she does drop out of college. She moved to L.A. where she did join what some could call a startup. The Hype House. The infamous Hype House. One of those white-on-white, modern-box-selling sunset-type houses that is stuffed to the brim with influencers trying to make it big. And part of the strategy of content houses like Hype House is to make content with the roommates who just also happen to be TikTok influencers. And I would say Addison Ray definitely kind of in that first leg of like big, prominent TikTokers using that hype house route. You know, I would also include maybe like Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio in that class. Maybe like Noah Beck, um, Bryce Hall, maybe. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And Bryce Hall was also dating Addison at the time, <gasps> right? Yes. They did eventually break up, which created good content for both of them. It's a it's a perfect <clears throat> Ouroboros, if you, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> and from this moment, Addison kind of embarks on this journey of becoming a capital H Hollywood star. She's still on TikTok. She's still posting her little dances and doing those sponsored posts that I believe at one point she was commanding like 70 to 90K per post. Mm -hmm. She gets this exclusive Spotify podcast deal with her mom back when Spotify was still giving big podcast deals. Mm -hmm. She starts... Item Beauty, which is this clean makeup and skincare brand that makes it in a Sephora, which is a pretty big deal. And she becomes this streetwear style girly icon. She's getting papped by Hollywood Fix constantly, which then obviously leads to further brand deals with brands like Adidas, Reebok, American Eagle. As we can see, the tides are kind of rising quickly for Addison Rae. But then, ooh, all tides must fall because there comes some backlash. When she goes on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon around March 2021, she's brought on to do this segment called Addison Rae Teaches Jimmy Eight TikTok Dances. And he's actually done this segment before with like Charlie D'Amelio. But he basically holds a cue card with viral song and dance trends on them. So like Savage and Corvette Corvette and Addison Ray, kind of like a marionette doll, does the dance upon command and just like face value. I remember watching this video and being like, this is so awkward and cringe. And those are two words I use to describe Addison Ray. Also, this segment is kind of a misnomer because Jimmy Fallon is not learning these dances. He's right. just present for them. So I'm being lied to. There's also more important backlash, though, than my own sense of betrayal by Jimmy <laughs> Fallon, which runs deep because he is the lesser late night Jimmy. 
Regardless, the backlash comes when people start pointing out that Addison Rae, along with many, many, many white influences in this space, have been getting quite rich and quite famous off these stances that they did not create. All of these big viral dance challenges were choreographed and basically kind of appropriated from creators that were Black or other people of color. At no point during the segment did Jimmy or Addison acknowledge or credit the creators who started these dances. And so we have what ends up being a very American story of, you know, a white, pretty girl being given the spotlight and airtime for something she did not invent. And if that sounds familiar, well, welcome to America. But also, back in 2021, when this all happened... ICYMI spoke to two of the creators. Their names are Maya Johnson and Chris Cotter. And we talked about how it feels to watch choreography that they created not only be watered down, because let's be frank, Addison Rae did not hit, Mm-mm. but watered down, replicated, and catapulted to this national level without them being brought along for the ride. And actually, two days after that ICYMI episode went up, Jimmy Fallon came back from his little hiatus and he basically tried to correct the record. On our last show before break, we did a bit with Addison Ray, where she taught me eight viral TikTok dances. Now, we recognize that the creators of those dances deserve to have their own spotlight. So right now, some of the creators will join me to talk about how their dance went viral and then perform the dance themselves. Up first, we've got Maya Nicole Johnson and Chris Cotter, who created the viral dance to Cardi B's Up. But back to Addison Rae, you know, her response, which she told to a TMZ camera, okay, that was like following her down the street, was something along the lines of, I think they were all credited in the original YouTube posting, but it's kind of hard to credit during the show. But they all know that I love them so much. And I mean, I support all of them so much. And hopefully one day we can all meet up and dance together. Which, (laughs) Like, don't collab with someone who doesn't want to collab with you. But I also just think that a little more blame should be placed on Jimmy Fallon's team for not like digging a few steps deeper in terms of booking. However, I do feel like this event in itself was kind of the impetus for a wave of like Addison Ray hate because, you know, she went on Jimmy Fallon actually to debut her single Obsessed. And I think the criticism she got for the dance segment just like completely overshadowed any press Obsessed was supposed to get. And so I don't know if anyone was surprised when Obsessed didn't hit. Like, it was just not critically acclaimed. People were not feeling the song. She even admitted recently to Vogue that the negative response really crushed her and made her think like, oh my God, I'm not good enough to do this, this being music. And a few months after the Jimmy Fallon debacle, Addison talks to Variety and she says Obsessed isn't her only track. She's got four done and ready to go. She is working with big pop producers like Benny Blanco, Madison Love, and Sarah Hudson. But then these tracks start getting leaked. Mm -hmm. And Addison tells Vogue that she has no idea how they leaked and that she was, quote, shocked. But interestingly enough, this kind of works in her favor because there's this subset of people online who kind of love them. One of the songs that went really big for a leak was To Die For, and which features one Charlie XCX. Uh-huh, exactly. And this album, this alleged album that's supposed to come out somewhere in like 2021, 2022, it never drops. 
But then we fast forward to August 2023 and Addison announces that she's going to release a few tracks from her Lost album. And that is how we get to her EP, AR. And Rachel, oh my God, I can't believe I keep admitting this, but I do love this EP. <laughs> like, it's stuck in my head. And I am really shocked because... I was such an Addison Ray hater. I mean, like on a good day, I was at best negative neutral on her. But I don't think I'm alone because it kind of seems like a lot of people are just like coming out of the woodwork to say, dang it, we love the CP. I mean, you're not wrong. I definitely noticed an uptick in people on Twitter, <clears throat> X, <laughs> writing for Miss Addison Ray, which is the first time I think I've ever seen anyone ride for Addison Ray. I saw someone tweet, quote, pop music has officially been saved. People are calling her mother. She's getting the full pop crave treatment. And we all know if pop crave is on it, it's in. <laughs> yeah. And dang, unfortunately, I am one of these tweets. Okay. I am one of these tweets calling Addison Ray mother because I look at this EP in my hand and I see only bops. And now I'm just like sitting here thinking, oh my God, am I about to start following Addison Ray updates on Twitter? Am I going to watch this random new movie she's doing with Ryan Reynolds? Like the possibilities are endless. But before we dive too deep, I think it's time to take a short break. I think you're right. And after a break, we are going to talk to Kat Zhang, who wrote a Pitchfork review about one of Addison Ray's songs. We're going to ask her why one of the most divisive TikTokers out there has become a pop darling. Just a little heads up, um, much like me and Candace and honestly everyone fun, Kat talks with her hands, so you might hear some little bumps throughout her recording. But that's enough chit-chat. In a bit, we'll be back with Kat. Hey listeners, hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. We are thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays, so make sure you never miss an episode like this past Wednesdays on the most famous person in the Dungeons & Dragons universe, Matt Mercer. And we're back. So I'm really excited because... Surprisingly, it is a little hard to find Addison Ray truthers out there, but we found one. We got her. And so today we're joined by Kat Zhang. She's an associate editor at Pitchfork. Hi, Kat. Hi. Wait, what does it mean to be an Addison Ray truther? Someone who speaks and confirms that her EP is not bad. Okay. I will have to caveat this and say, I'm not necessarily a fan of some of the other tracks on the EP, but I do like, I got it bad. That's my clarification. As a critic, I have to say that. <laughs> Listen, we're all about accuracy and journalism here on ICYMI. <laughs> so thank you for the clarification. Uh, but yes, you wrote a review of I Got It Bad, which is one of Addison Ray's songs off of her EP. I cannot suggest reading Kat's review on pitchfork.com more highly because I don't know I would say it's kind of biblical I would say it's canonical <laughs> I would say that I really gleaned much more than I ever did in my bible studies classes from this from this review wow I'm learning a lot about you today oh no I mean the thing is Kat pop crave is singing your praises the pop crave is out here 
singing your praises. And I really, really want to read this great line from your review. You wrote, quote, Ray's sheer level of online exposure made both petty backlash and legitimate grievances inevitable. But it is often when a beautiful young singer flops that she encounters a new, more niche type of fame. Mm, Cat1492, I love it. It's just a beautiful story of by flopping, you rise ever higher. And I think that's true. I think that's really true. So I want to start off by getting into this EP, this extended play. First off, what were your first impressions of Addison Ray Cat? Like, did you know her TikToks? Were you kind of following her music career before this? Did you, you know, love her dances? What was your entry point into the Addison Rae cinematic universe? I was in the trenches of TikTok, like 2019, 2020. I did a lot of the early writing at Pitchfork about the way that TikTok was going to change the music industry. But I was also just on TikTok because it is like a fun place to be. So I really watched the entire evolution. I can't remember what like the first video that made Addison famous was, but I think it might've been one where like her, it like from her mom actually. And then the mom sort of like reveals Addison and everyone is like, wow, what a beautiful girl. And then like her, her, you know, her career really starts, but I did watch the, her in the hype house days. And then like now she's, she has a more removed presence from TikTok. And I've noted that all of the hype house videos or like the dance videos are so, so uncanny to watch. And I am excited to get into that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have that similar entry point of like, we know Addison as kind of this like internet figure, definitely maybe one of the first big TikTok people to pop. But it's interesting because I don't think anyone was like shock shocked when she tried to expand. She was in this like Netflix reboot of She's All That. Also a bit of a flop, but that's fine. And then she tried to get into the music world. So she was talking about how she was going to release this album in like 2021, 2022. She was talking to Variety about it. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to work with all these big people like Benny Blanco and Charlie XCX. But then the album never comes out. But it does leak. And those leaks, they're circulating on Reddit. They're posted on YouTube. And then fast forward to August 2023, She goes on Instagram. She announces that she's going to release like four of the songs on streaming platforms from this, quote, lost album. And that's kind of how we end up here. But I actually wanted to ask about your take on the concept of maybe the lost album. Like, what does this industry speak for? And does it usually mean like an artist wrote a few songs and they like hated it? Or does every artist have a lost album? Is that like a new concept? I don't know. I think in this case, it was like, her first single obsessed really did not perform the way that she wanted it to. And people were kind of making fun of her for that. And I think also the background context to that, in addition to like obsessed, not just like not being a good song was also that like, it seemed like there's so many TikTok personalities making a pivot to music. Like Dixie D'Amelio had the song that's like, sometimes I don't want to be happy. I think around the same time, maybe. And then there are like all of the more like emo-y, hype house guys pivoting to pop punk. So I think people are also generally really fatigued by the idea of TikTokers pivoting to music. Cause also there's kind of an element of just like the financial interest was kind of transparent. It's like, okay, I don't want to um, just be a TikTok personality, like the creator fund, et cetera, will not give me enough money to like have a long lasting career. So like I need to move into like 
music into having a beauty line into being a, a movie star and stuff like that. Um, so I think maybe like she had recorded all of these tracks and then when the reception to Obsessed didn't go so great, she's just like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to release these anymore creating this sense of like artificial scarcity and then the fans sort of demand it. And my, my working theory is actually that like there needs to be this idea of scarcity for her music career to flourish. And I almost wonder like if she tries to release an album too soon after this, like I don't think that people will receive it with the same sort of obsessiveness that they have this EP. There definitely feels like an element of we got her to release this album. She didn't want to release it. We forced it out of her. And that's why we love it. You mentioned there was an era where it seemed like people were really fatigued with the idea of TikTok stars becoming musicians. I'm wondering if you think that era is over. I think Nessa Barrett has had a fine career. Um, I think Lil Huddy, Chase Hudson has also maybe had a fine career. I think part of it is that all of the like big TikTok stars seem to have kind of moved on and they're not as present anymore. But if there's like a new wave of TikTokers who are trying to pivot to music, then maybe like the fatigue will come back again. You know, it's funny because I have to say I'm not exactly sure if I knew anyone in 2021 who was like begging for her to release that album, any music. I mean, like personally, um, Simu Liu, he like keeps threatening to release an album and I get oh, really no. scared about it. I have cold sweats <laughs> about it. But I think it's just funny because we fast forward two years, this four song EP drops and the songs are pretty short. No track is more than three minutes long. Some of them don't have bridges. And on Spotify, they kind of try to like put Obsessed, her debut single, like back into the sphere again by attaching it on. But just looking at all the tracks, Kat, were you shocked at all by the product you heard in total? Like what was kind of your first reaction to the EP? Honestly, I already heard half the EP before it came out because uh, like these tracks were leaked and they went viral online. So there was like pretty much no surprise for me. I was like, yep, this is an Addison track. It's It has this kind of like plasticky quality and maybe like the vocals are a little flat, but also like some of the production can be kind of fun. Like, of course, the songs would be short because that is generally the trend in pop music these days, especially for pop music that has any affiliation with TikTok. Not surprising, but I think given that people did not like Obsessed, it's kind of funny to see people now being like pop perfection, major hit, even like applied to like that song. Yeah, my whole theory about Obsessed is that when it first came out, she was on Jimmy Fallon. She was so overexposed, like doing Zach saying, doing every podcast, blah, 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 talking about it. And the song itself includes lyrics such as like, you said you're obsessed with me. And I said, me too. And there's a bit of this like braggadociousness that I don't think people were very receptive to at the time. But because she's been a little bit more quiet this year, I think people are kind of seeing that more as like, oh, she like really likes herself. Okay, she's confident. There's a bit of like self-love in there. And I think the amount of underexposure she's had this year has actually kind of allowed people to be a little more receptive to the EP and those themes a little bit. On the subject of like the underexposure or, you know, her like just like the, the more positive reception to her, I have to say like getting a good stylist is crucial to this and also her going brunette and the makeup. I think once they're like, she looks so slay. 
then like that was really when the like things started pivoting and like like her paparazzi photos looked good. So that's yeah. like the boilerplate thing I have to say. I feel like with Obsess, like what I thought about it when I first heard it was that I really liked the egotistical conceit and people really like to die for, which is like the entire song is just like, I'm amazing. I'm to die for, like you should drool over me. And then like, I got it bad. That was not about her being gorgeous, amazing, spectacular, whatever still has this kind of like extreme quality to it. Cause it's like, this is going to ruin my life. Like I'm down bad, that kind of thing. So I think like part of the appeal, like what I see of like this EP or the songs there is just that it lets you lean into a kind of histrionic mode, I guess, which is really <laughs> fun to perform. It definitely is. It definitely is. It's very much giving, you know, I'm strutting down the street with my girlies. I am the hottest thing walking. You mentioned this style pivot. I have to admit, I was not keeping up with Addison Ray before, you know, this EP <laughs> drop. So when you say the She's So Slay era, can you describe, I guess, the Addison Ray before the She's So Slay era and what is happening with her current styling that you feel like really helped with this current mood she's in? Okay, so before Addison was blonde and maybe with like brown roots um, and looked more just like an average teenager or like maybe dressed more like an average teenager and then when she switched over to being a brunette, like I think that just kind of complemented her complexion more. Like maybe it, it didn't wash her out as much. And she kind of had this more of the look of like Hollywood glamour. But then also she had these looks that were kind of reminiscent of like 2000s pop star, like running away from the paparazzi or kind of like pop star off duty. I think there's one where she's in like, Ugg boots and short shorts with like an iced coffee in a hand or something like that. And, and people just like when a, a beautiful woman delivers on being beautiful or in like fun and campy, or that they like the throwbacks to that era. Vogue did an interview with her and the interviewers like, she's so meticulous with her fashion references and she can like name all of these designers and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't think we have to like do too much here. Like, can we just say that she has a good stylist and that she looks good? And like, this is the thing, like, we don't need her to be like a a genius on that front. And similarly, I think it's funny how much of the pivot and reception is also partially because she has this, like, as I was saying, like light subcultural status, because people found out she listens to like Burial and Arca and Aphex Twin and stuff like that. But I think that some of that is silly. Like it doesn't change the quality of the music in my opinion or like it's kind of like people need that to feel good about listening to it when they can just listen to it i totally picked up on that part of her vogue interview as well when she talked about not only references to styling but also when she was like i love sophie i listen to sophie all the time and i was like whoa (laughs) okay and i think that's interesting because this ep to me I personally, I got to say it, I kind of love it. My favorite songs are like the Charlie (laughs) XCX one, To Die For I Love. I am now on the obsessed bandwagon. And I think partially the reason I love those songs is because 
some of them kind of sound like Selena Gomez rejects to me. And to mm-hmm. be fair, this happens a lot in pop where like someone writes a song, they hit the demo, it goes to several artists, all of them pass. And I mean, like there's a song on here too, Nothing On But The Radio, that was a Lady Gaga track. And then it got passed all the way down to Addison Rae. And I just think that maybe the beauty of this EP is the fact that it, sounds like so many people I'm just going to say like perhaps B-lister pop stars that we're not (laughs) hearing a lot of new music from right now and so for her to kind of just compile that and put that out as one it's kind of allowing a lot of people to get like that summer hit of dopamine they've been craving from like you know the Troy Sivans and the Justin Biebers and the Selena Gomez's of the world you know and that said me too. Yeah, I think that it, it's what you're saying. Like, it's not actually that she's like the second Sophie or that she's going to like deliver on like an Aphex twin, whatever. It's that they like Gaga and they want to h- listen to an old Gaga song. That is such a good point, Kat. I do think it's now time for us to take a little break. When we come back, we will be talking about how good is this music really? And we're back with Kat Zhang, an associate editor at Pitchfork. Right before the break, we talked about how Addison's EP as a pop album makes it weirdly work. I'm going to be honest. Before I listened to her music, I always saw Addison as kind of a glorified Zumba instructor. There's something just deeply tutorial about her and how all of her content particularly the dancing on TikTok is made to be duplicated and replicated by people who have no dance skills to speak of. So with her music, I wonder if the themes are kind of hitting that same vibe. She's basically telling us what to do. Lyrically, it seems like she's singing about adoration and devotion and self-love, which reminds me of Haley Steinfeld and her song Love Myself, which is just basically about a girl feeling herself. And listen, I love that kind of music. I love strutting through a Dave and Buster's being like, (laughs) you said you're obsessed with me. And I said, me too. But it does make me wonder, Kat, how do you feel about this music as an actual music critic? Like lyrically, musically, is this good? Or is it just fun? I feel generally good about the songwriting and like the conceits. I think they're pretty fun. I think if any other pop artists perform these, I would like them. Maybe another pop artist would do it a little better depending on who they were. Cause I do think, yeah, some of the vocals fall pretty flat here, but I think Addison's image is almost like you can slot her into any template that you want. Like, I think the fact that Addison doesn't have a super defined personality besides like serving looks and like being smiley um, kind of works. Like people in some ways like a a generic celebrity figure who they can kind of like project onto, not in like a bad way, but just like, I think she like works in this context. Yeah. And I definitely want to ask a little more about 
your review for I Got It Bad, if we can kind of dig into it a little bit. So Mm -hmm. first off, I wanted to ask, was it hard to ask Pitchfork to let you write about this? Like internally, were people kind of like, really, Kat? (laughs) (laughs) My boss today, um, I like tried to notify people that I wanted to do it and was going to do it ahead of time so they could like raise their objections or whatever. (laughs) But like I oversee all new song reviews. I was like, I'm assigning this to myself and I maybe they're like, okay, fine. I also help co-run like pop music listening sessions at Pitchfork. We have like a monthly session where we just kind of screen a bunch of new music. And I have been like seeding Addison Ray in there. Last year, I played the leak of I Got It Bad for them and had everyone weigh in. I think maybe it was like some people were into it and some people were not. I was vehemently trying to make the argument that if Rina Sawayama had sang that song, everyone would be eating it up. And also because I did start out at Pitchfork writing a lot about TikTok and I was going to approach it from this sort of like cultural analysis perspective, I think that made it a, a bit more sense for me to do it. I love this idea that you were the covert like Addison Ray slipper here. I think that is so funny. But that's kind of why I was so glad that you wrote the review of the song because I kind of felt like you would get it. And so if we could kind of like break down your review a little bit, um, talk to me a little bit like what do you love about the song? What makes it stand out for you? What is kind of your personal connection or I guess attraction to I Got It Bad? I like some of the genericness of the song or I, I you know I like that essentially it's like her as this innocent woman being like I love a bad boy like he's driving recklessly down the street I feel like this almost evokes to me Taylor Swift's style like classic archetyped here but maybe for me the in terms of like the production and stuff like that like I like this the kind of like twinkly element of it I like how the chorus like really like whips into place there's kind of like a breakdown near the end that I also find satisfying and I think her vocal performance on I Got It Bad is like better than some of the on some of the other songs I keep on saying like Addison Rae not great vocals (laughs) I'll believe at that point less but yeah I think it's just like a nice pop morsel and i love pop music i like to feel fun and flirty walking down the street so i think this serves that purpose i love generic music i love music (laughs) where there's no deeper message i love music where i'm not thinking about really anything besides the fact that i'm gonna put this on in the shower and i'm gonna feel the best i ever felt (laughs) in the shower it's a vibe it's a moment it's like we've lost the mid-budget rom-com that Mm -hmm. was so fun and meant nothing but you watched it for 10 years straight whenever it came on tbs and i feel like we kind of lost that with pop music as well everyone's trying to make important pop music i don't care there are too many albums about going to therapy that's my (laughs) that's my thing man i love this point because something that you're also kind of bringing up at least in my head I identify as a pop basic. I will say that on this podcast now. And I say this because I love the chain smokers. I love those dumb bitches who make millions of dollars in Vegas. And the thing is, when you think about their songs like Closer and Paris and Kanye, 
they're not the best vocalist, period, but these songs are somehow just like stuck in my head constantly at the drive through. And I kind of actually wonder if maybe there's a link between that and Addison and just kind of this counterculture desire for pop to lean back a little bit. Because on the flip end, I've been thinking a lot about the Divorce album and how country music, especially, definitely pushing forward a little more into the personal life section. And they've somehow found a way to top the charts. Like, as we're speaking, there are three country songs at the top of the Billboard charts. And it kind of makes me wonder, it maybe makes me worry, like, is pop in a deficit, especially B-list pop? Because in a weird way, I kind of wonder if Addison has found the exact time to just take the carpool lane and like rise to the top of those pop charts. I don't know. I feel like pop is still going. Like Olivia Rodrigo is still ruling. You, I mean, Taylor Swift is still pumping out the re-recordings and people are eating that up. Sabrina Carpenter, we have Miley. Selena Gomez is coming back with the single. Pop is still here and thriving. But I think we are in a cultural moment where like people like spectacle and they like their little treat, just like are interested in this kind of like simple pleasure. And then also, I don't want to say regression, that sounds like harsh, but just like nostalgia for girlhood. And so something that is pink and sparkly, like this Addison Ray EP does the trick. And then also people are also nostalgic for like 2020 TikTok. Addison has been away for long enough where people really miss her. And then she also gives them this kind of nostalgia for like 2000s, or she is very similar to Britney in a lot of ways. And so like, that's what what they want. Kind of going back to the internet angle of this, the real online personalities I can think of that fully transitioned into the music industry are Sean Mendez and Choi Sivan. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you maybe think they represent the ceiling of how far an internet personality can go in terms of a mainstream music career. Like, do you think Addison will only be able to reach the level of a B-list pop star? Or do you think she can go past that? Um, who knows? I am kind of skeptical of it. And I do think like if she releases a full length pop project in a similar nature to this EP, I don't actually think that people will be that into it or like part of the appeals, the scarcity. And like, uh, I think people still like it just a little bit because it's like being in on a joke and like the, and releasing new music would also tilt her back to being more on the exposure side. And, you know, we were dealing with this pendulum swing where it's like, people don't want to see artists trying too hard or don't want to see them too much. But like she is in touch with some interesting people and maybe she'll release a really crazy, interesting album and have multiple pivots to her career and and prove me wrong. Um, That's the fun of life is that you never know what's going to (laughs) happen. I mean, you're so right. I think the thing I forget about Addison is that she was, what, 19 when we, yeah. when her name first yeah. became super big? So she's in her early 20s. Who knows what's going to happen once she hits her 30s and she's like, who am I? Who have I become? What do I want? Maybe she'll have a divorce album and it'll rival Adele's. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss a debate on the song of the summer. It might be by Addison Ray. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMyUnderscorePod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, Addison Ray makes music now? And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at Slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and me, Candice Lim. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online. Or at a Dave & Buster's.